And the dudes are back. Yeah, we missed a couple of weeks, but the uh, dudes are back. So this is our special holiday episode, you know, follow-up and all that bullshit. Sit back, light a cigar, and enjoy yourself. Dudes of Kung Fu. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 10 of... Dudes of Kung Fu. All right, we are back in better than ever, man. How are you, Alex? I am well rested, unlike uh, I normally am when I do the podcast. Uh, I've been down in Florida for the last three and a half weeks, so uh, not too many complaints. What about you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. You know, the the holiday season is uh, upon us, and it's uh, it's affected us a little bit with recording the podcast. Alex and I both have uh, families that we have to tend to. And with getting ready for Christmas, yes. we, we missed a couple of weeks. But sorry, fuck it. When you guys stop paying us for it, then, we, then you can fucking complain. And <laughs> <laughs> we'll have a complaint department once we get paid for well, it. <laughs> we, we, we figured we were going to install a complaint tag, and we were going to attach it to the pin of a hand grenade. So <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> not really. We're kidding aside. We're happy to be back. Uh, you know, Christmas got in the way a little bit, but it is what it is. We're back now, and, and uh, things are good. So you enjoying yeah, Florida? So, uh, I am enjoying Florida. I've been spending most of this time basically uh, uh, finishing up the scripts for two more books, working on a bunch of projects. Every December, I always like to kind of, you know, take stock of what I've done uh, throughout the year and kind of plan for the next year. And this year, I decided just to get the hell out of New York for the entire month so that I have a change of scenery and pace. And I got a lot of writing done. I wrote an entire uh, master level curriculum for my students. I uh, did a lot of training while I was down here with with different guys and stuff. And and so, um, you know, I've had a really, really great time. It's good just to have the chance to recharge my batteries because uh, um, people don't realize everyone's like, you know, what's your secret? How do you run a big kung fu school? And it's like just like kung fu. It's a lot of work. People don't realize how much goes into it. And I, you know, I just needed, you know, in November, my batteries were, were kind of wearing down a little bit. So um, if anybody noticed on the podcast, I apologize. I, I definitely needed time to kind of recharge my batteries and I feel great. I'm ready to come back to New York in a week and, and uh, you know, hit the ground uh, running and, and got a lot of great stuff coming. And, and so, yeah, that's what I've been doing. Yeah, I was going to say, you're not yourself and I like the improvement. But, uh... <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm actually planning um, a little uh, Kung Fu reunion, family reunion for myself with um, in March. I have uh, my guys coming in from all over. and um, Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, a couple of new people are going to be joining us that are going to be joining the uh, family and everything. It's 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 an exciting time for us. Uh, you know, we, we're, we're not a big, uh, big Kung Fu family. Uh, we're a small, intimate group, but... Um, it's fun and uh, a lot of good things are going on. So that's great. That's great. Yeah. So hey, uh, something funny I saw on uh, the facial book today. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, or maybe it's just me because like I'm a little bit sensitive to this kind of stuff. But the the Wong Jack Man crowd seems to have been kind of like coming up with some rumblings lately, and maybe it has something to do with that 
that movie the, that, that came out a few months ago about the whole showdown in Oakland or whatever. Um, but I saw some guys on Facebook, like apparently they were like former students of Wong Jack Man or whatever, writing like, oh, that actually Wong had given Bruce Lee internal injuries and he had to see a doctor about all that kind of stuff. And, and I heard that and, and I was just kind of laughing because I'm like, you know, first of all, these guys cannot let it go. Right. Second of all, um, based on eyewitness testimony, also things that Bruce Lee wrote in private when nobody else was was looking um kind of give me the impression that you know things did not really go very well for wong jack man on that day regardless it's an old story who gives a shit blah 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 but they're still kind of chirping this stuff well today on facebook i saw that linda lee actually did a short little video for you know the you know the official bruce lee site or whatever where she talked about the thing and she was like, I was there. I saw it. She even said what Bruce Lee said in Cantonese to Wong Jack man. Once he got him on the ground, which is, you know, the, do you give up uh, uh, or not, which in Chinese is uh, like, uh, uh, is like, which is, which is actually a very interesting thing to say. Fuck meaning like, like, do, you know, do you give up? Basically fuck means do you give up or not? Right. And it was funny because Linda Lee herself said it in Cantonese, like what Bruce Lee said, she was like, I remember it. I was, there and it was it was very kind of cool and it reminded me that term that bruce lee used that, that saying which is very common uh like do you do you do you give up or whatever that fuck is the same fuck as fuck so in oh, really? Chun. yes because uh like many words in chinese uh they you know this is always why we have to laugh at westerners when they get Chinese tattoos or whatever, because if they get a single character, a single character on its own is pretty meaningless in Chinese. Because multiple meanings, when you combine them with other characters, right? But by themselves, they're kind of meaningless. Like I always used to joke to my wife, like, oh, Chinese has, you know, 10,000 characters, but 8,000 of them have no meaning. (laughs) (laughs) You have nine thousand have no meaning you know <laughs> like because i would always ask her like in the early days before i learned to speak a lot of chinese i would say you know i'd ask her what does this character mean and she would just look at me and say no meaning and i'm like what do you mean no meaning <laughs> it's a character you can say it you know you know what it is and then it has no meaning right but it's true so um the term fo- uh, depending on the meaning has a lot of different contexts or whatever but one of them um especially the one we use in wing chun can mean to subdue or to, to do, control right? 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 That's why, because the fuxa was kind of laying over the tan cell, for example, in, in classical chi cell. So it's kind of like controlling or subduing the, uh, the tan cell hand, for example, right? But it, it also means to, to give up or, or to basically um, kowtow to somebody like, uh, like, I give up. And that's exactly how Bruce Lee used it in, in that very common way. It's like, literally, do you fuck or not fuck? <laughs> and it's like, right? so, but it was very funny because I, I, um, I never heard that before. And that just happened to be on Facebook today. I thought that was, that was kind of an interesting thing. So yeah, that was just something I picked up just kind of random, but uh, um, I thought I'd give a little Chinese lesson for the day. That's cool. I, I I think it's really cool that you know I've said this before on the air and I've said it to you in private a hundred times. I think it's so cool that you uh, speak Cantonese and and do and do it well. You know, at least well as far as I'm concerned. Well, and um, I think it's great that you uh, you know you probably learned so much from your wife that your wife has uh, kind of been your your teacher in this and 
And it's great. I, actually, know, she actually she doesn't teach. She doesn't really teach me at all. She doesn't really have any patience. But, <laughs> but occasionally, um, you know, there'll be like a character that's that's really difficult, or there'll be like two characters, and I'll be like, well, which one should you use? And she, she'll tell me that stuff. But honestly, um, most of my Cantonese study has been self study. And, you know, people ask me, how did you learn Cantonese? And it's just like running a business or doing Kung Fu. It was a lot of freaking hard work. I have a, I have a uh, flashcard app on my cell phone, on my iPhone, and I study it every day. And the flashcard app has uh, single words, phrases, common things that you say every day, vocabulary, martial arts-related stuff. And I put it on a randomizer. So I test myself every day. And, you know, one flashcard could be like, you know, uh, what do you say when you open when somebody holds the door open for you, right? And then the next one is like the name of one of Bruce Lee's films, and then the next one is a motto in Wing Chun, and the next one is like a random thing. So I never know what I'm going to get, but I plug away at that stuff every day, and every day I'm adding stuff to it, and and um, it's a lot of work. But like when you find something that you really like, um, you know, you, you, putting the effort in is it, it doesn't. People right. always look at you and they go, "Whoa, it's a crazy effort." Yeah, but I wanted to learn Cantonese. You know, it's not like it's not like my mom forced me to do it or something like that. You know, right? It's, sure. It's always a when there's motivation there, it's always uh, it's always quite a bit different. So um, people always ask me all the time, "How do I learn Cantonese?" And I go, "Get a tutor on Craigslist and just start <laughs> plugging away." I mean, really, there's not uh, there's no big secret to it. It's like guitar for me. That's yeah. right. How's your guitar coming along? Oh, dude, I'm having the time of my life playing guitar. And uh, for Christmas, I was uh, I was very lucky, very fortunate. And um, I ended up having three guitars for Christmas. So wow, yeah, my wife had bought me a guitar for Christmas. My brother bought me a guitar, and the guitar my brother bought me was ridiculously expensive. Uh, like I'll, I'll play this guitar now for the next 30, 40 years of my life. Right. And I kind of like every year. Um, at my job, I'm, I've been lucky, fortunate enough that I, I get a nice, I get a Christmas bonus. Some years better than others, and um, kind of like the, the the deal I make with myself is when I get the bonus. You know, I'm a married guy with kids, so the whole bonus goes to the family. You know, right, right, yeah, sure, I know what that's like. But I, I also kind of like say I want to buy myself something also. <laughs> you know what I mean? So every year I buy myself something. I bought, you know, one year I bought myself a John, you know, one year, I, you know, I'll buy myself whatever, knives, whatever. So this year I bought myself a new guitar as well, a, a nice Martin 12-string guitar. Beautiful. And, um, you know, I'm, I just, nothing brings me peace like playing guitar. And I notice, I know you don't play a musical instrument, but a lot of martial artists do. Sure. I, I noticed that a lot with martial artists, especially on Facebook. A lot, a lot of guys that, are, that I know are into Wing Chun, Jeet Kune Do, play an instrument. A lot of them play guitar. I mean, I granted, guitar is very popular, and it's probably, it may not be just unique to martial artists, but I do notice a lot of martial artists are, are, uh, are musicians as well, at least, at least budding musicians. Well, I think um, when when you have something that kind of takes so much of your time and, and concentration and effort, you need to have like a secondary outlet. Otherwise, you go completely crazy. You know, um, I think for me, it's probably been my study of uh, like Chinese language and mm-hmm. maybe Hong Kong movies or whatever. As, as it's you know, I would much rather be able to play the guitar or whatever. But um, I I have a very very narrow focus of stuff that I 
put put my energy into probably because I'm horribly untalented in a wide variety of things and I only have a brain for an extremely narrow segment of stuff right <laughs> um, but I think yeah it's like if you if you look like especially now because a lot of martial arts people are on Facebook so you get that chance to kind of see what they kind of do in their day to day and yeah I think you do see like a lot of accomplished martial arts people have some kind of like tertiary or secondary hobby that they're also really into or, or pretty accomplished with as well and I think i'm curious if bruce lee had such a thing too i wonder what his secondary outlet was outside of martial arts well it sounds like you know maybe maybe you can ask steve i heard it was drugs and women but uh i don't know yeah well hey (laughs) that also works too for some people i suppose (laughs) you know it's funny i heard a story about bruce lee once and um i i i think it's true i don't know I, I've never I've never uh, checked it out or anything like that, but a, a Bruce Lee historian, and I won't say his name because uh, I'm just not going to say his name. Um, mm-hmm. There's told, only like three of them anyway. <laughs> right, and, and two of them are dick. So, um, uh, so they had said that they um, were looking into the way Bruce Lee was, uh, you know, training different things, and everything he did was phenomenal. So, like, with uh, for a man of his frame. And his weight, the amount of weights he was lifting was, you know, hundreds of pounds more than what the average guy that was li- that, of that weight could lift. And sure. it was all these spectacular things. And he said the one thing that upset him, well, not that bothered him, was that when he looked at his running schedule, he would only run like a 5K. He would run three miles. Uh-huh. And he would say, like, you know, it was disappointing. Like, he just was like, yeah, I mean, that's good. But, like, it kind of bothered him that, like, you know, with weightlifting, it was, like, three times what the normal person can do. And, you know, punching power and all this other stuff was just incredible. But when I looked at the running, according to his daytimers, it was only, you know, two, three miles kind of thing. Weird. And he had asked Linda Lee, like, you know, what's up with that? And she's like, I don't know. He would come out of the house, you know, literally turn right and run for three miles. And then that was it. And he said, and one day he made a trip to L.A. and uh, went to, you know, because they all, everybody goes and takes a picture in front of where Bruce Lee lived and, and College Street School and all that stuff. And then he, it clicked on him why it, happened, why it was like that. Because when you came out of Bruce Lee's driveway and you made a right or a left, whatever, whatever it was, it was one of those L.A. hills that was straight up. <laughs> 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 And I go like, oh, okay. Now I get it, you know. That's but, funny. That's funny. So it was only three miles, but it was like fucking straight up, you know. Yeah, but of course, uh, I mean, if, if nowadays, if you really understand how cardiovascular training works, uh, what you can do with three miles, what you can do in one mile, especially if you're doing sport specific stuff, martial arts related conditioning or whatever. I mean, a martial artist does not need to run a marathon. That kind of conditioning is not compatible with what a martial artist needs to do. So I find it kind of strange that he was disappointed that I, like, you know, three miles, how many people run three miles regularly anyway. Right. And he was doing that kind of road work before martial artists were doing that. I mean, at that time, only boxers were doing that kind of thing. Right. So still way ahead of his time. And, and yeah, if you consider that he was doing it on Hills and probably doing Hill sprints and stuff like that, which is kind of standard stuff they do in MMA these days. That's interesting. You know, I actually, because I do go to LA usually like one time a year, 
Um, next time I go, uh, I'll look up the address. Maybe you can tell me which of, cause he had like two or three places he lived over there. Let me know. I'll go check it out and, and, yeah, and screw so cool. it. I'll go do it. I'll, I'll go try to do that, <laughs> mu- that run. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, uh, I, I think, you know, what you just said was perfect in that Bruce Lee kind of lived the life of an MMA fighter. I'm not saying Bruce Lee is the father of MMA or just everybody get your fucking panties out of your ass. Relax. <laughs> I'm just saying he lived the life of a pro boxer, a pro MMA fighter, conditioning, a conditioning level that is so much higher than the average population of his time that it, it really should be noted. It's, um, you know, I, I think he was ahead of his time in so many ways. You know, I, I, again, I don't oh, know. I don't know what, what he did. I, I know it was that book that has um, anatomy of whatever. But um, the art of the art of expressing the human body—that's right. like all his, his workout routines and stuff. But the dude was way ahead of his time when it came to that kind of stuff. Absolutely, I mean, it's, Absolutely. it's very Absolutely. impressive. Yeah, the fact that people are still talking about what he was doing—not just him and his legacy, but like people are still talking about what he was actually doing back then, like physically, like hitting the mitts and the kind of bag work and stuff like that—just shows you. Uh, and to think that he did all that by by age thirty-two in the sixties and seventies is really right. incredible. We could probably do an entire podcast where we just, where we talk on some of those innovations and things that Bruce Lee did things that we take for granted now that were absolutely revolutionary back then. Sure. Um, <clears throat> that's a, that's actually a really good idea. Absolutely. Hey, uh, I noticed uh, because it's been a couple of weeks since we did our uh, last podcast uh, that we had some questions pile up on the dudes of Kung Fu uh, page. Uh, we want to want to go and, and tackle some of these today. Yeah, sure. Let's take a look at them. Okay, yeah. So I'm reading one now. Okay. Uh... Oh, shut up! I'm trying to fucking read it. There's a couple of big words in here, so you know, it's tough for me. In JKD and especially Wing Chun, there are many factions and lineages, each one with their own way of doing things interpreting and labeling things. This often causes debate. What are your thoughts on the diversity among the lines? And what do you think of the big, what do you think is the biggest picture? What do you think is the bigger picture? Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) It's great because obviously our audience, they only hear our podcast, but when, when we do these podcasts, we we do them in front of a, um, you know, in front of our, our cameras or whatever. So I'm looking at Sean trying to read this thing off the screen. It's just the funniest thing. We really need to get into a studio. People need to start watching these podcasts. They're hysterical. <laughs> the stuff that goes on while we're talking is ridiculous. There we go. <laughs> Flipping the double bird off to me right now. Uh, will you want to tackle this question first, Sean? Um, okay, so it's a good question, and it's more of a question for you because I think I don't really concern myself too much with the other lineages. I know lineages keep Alex awake at night. So, <laughs> no, it, um, in JKD, there's, there's many different lineages and some are more prominent than others. Um, I think the bigger picture, and I'm only going to speak towards JKD because the bigger picture is to not worry, in my opinion, not worry about exactly what Bruce Lee did. The bigger picture is to worry about why Bruce Lee did it. When you understand why he did certain things, when you understand, if you look at his actual notes and read what he said about things like timing and distance and rhythm and 
and, and why there's five ways of attack and not six and not four, when you come to an understanding of these things, you no longer have to worry about exactly what Bruce Lee did because you know why Bruce Lee did them. And as people mature in the martial arts and worry less about whose dick is bigger in debates on the friggin' <laughs> groups, you'll see less debate and, and, and more intelligent conversation. Um, but you're always going to have, as far as the bigger picture when it comes to JKD, you're always going to have the, the, the nonsensical, um, well, I combine the hands of Wing Chun with the best of the kicking from Taekwondo and, 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 and more bullshit that doesn't matter to create their own JKD. And, you know, as long as that's still around and it'll always be around, you'll always have problems. But as far as the, actually the established lineages, um, you know, there's really nothing that much to say about it. I think the bigger problems are amongst the followers than it is amongst the leaders. Um, you know, there's this, I belong to the Steve Golden lineage and then there's the Dan Asanta lineage and the Ted Wong lineage and, you know, Pete Jacobs and all these other guys. And those guys can sit around and have coffee when they were alive and kicking. And those guys can sit around and have coffee for the most part. You know, when the nucleus got together, it was like, you know, 15, 20 guys, all with a different opinion on things, were able to sit down and chat about shit. Their students couldn't. So I think that that's the problem, you know, um, the problem is the students, and 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 they're always worried about their egos and the and and the reputations of their their sifus, and and that's that's what causes the debate. It's it's the ego, and I, I think once people can learn to say okay and just get away from bullshit, like I put a post up on my one of my groups once. How do I say stay sane in martial arts groups on Facebook? And then people say, like, you know, uh, Sean Moyat sucked. I'm like, okay. Steve Golden sucked. Okay. Ji Kendo sucks. Okay. Wing Chun sucks. Okay. You spell Wing Chun wrong. Okay. You're fat. Okay. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I couldn't give a shit. When people tell me, oh, they don't, they, they don't like what Steve Golden does in Ji Kendo, I say, oh, okay. I don't give a shit. I couldn't care less. And right, it's the same right. thing when it comes to Wing Chun. And I think, um, I don't know if I'm addressing the question correctly, but that's how I took it, that the lineages are never going to come together. The bigger picture is the individual who has to do his research to understand why Bruce Lee did certain things. And when you understand why, nothing else matters. It's all bullshit. Anyway. Anyway, your turn now. It's all bullshit. It's all bullshit. (laughs) By the way, just quickly, I have a buddy of mine who, um, an avid listener to the podcast, uh-huh. Who told me that he cannot stop saying "no dick piece of shit"? <laughs> <laughs> ever since you heard me on the podcast describe somebody as some no dick piece of shit asshole or something, that's all he said. That says. is that is so funny. <laughs> that is so funny. Yeah. So you're you're creating uh, a new new slang. I mean, well, it's probably very common. Uh, in in your neck of the woods or whatever, but but I think now we're going to have this outreach. We have lots of Europeans who listen to it. They're going to start saying these kind of things. So 
we have like a huge, uh, huge responsibility now. <laughs> Brooklynese is making its way over the world. I love it. Hey, my my daughter, like I mentioned previously, she she's picking up that accent at school. You know, it's like, like I said, it's like, Daddy, my arms are tired. <laughs> <laughs> Who taught you how to speak that way? <laughs> That's awesome. So, um, yeah, well, uh, I mean, it's pretty straightforward for me. Like, uh, I've been doing this long enough that I. Uh, like, like Sean, I, I don't care when people, you know, like, for example, you know, my former teacher, Leung Ting, is probably, uh, along with William Chung, probably one of the most insulted Wing Chun people in the whole, you know, kind of Wing Chun galaxy or whatever. So when you uh, do Wing Chun under Leung Ting, for example, you get used to people saying all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, and... Uh, it used to get me really upset, especially in the old days when I used to represent him formally in the association. And, and uh, I learned at some point to just not give a crap. And that was partially because at some point I literally heard everything there was to hear about my former teacher. So it's like, <laughs> oh, really? That's all you heard? Well, let me tell you what I know. <laughs> so, yeah, you do kind of cultivate this kind of, uh, you know, like you just really don't care. Because first of all, if you enjoy what you're doing, if you're honest about what you do, you practice, you you really kind of go the martial way. Um, those things become a lot less important. When people are insecure about what they're doing, uh, they get very upset when people are like, oh, well, I, I don't believe your Sifu was really a student of so-and-so or blah, 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 blah. Um, you know, the, the, these kind of things tend to be more of a problem when people are not secure in what they're doing. But having said that, it's kind of um, address the question a little bit uh, more directly, um, you know, each of the, you know, basically say each of the lineages have their own way of doing it and interpreting and labeling things. Uh, and while this is normal, um, first of all, uh, as I've discussed before, when you're talking about the traditional Chinese teaching method, um, I don't care what anybody says, the traditional Chinese teaching method, uh, at least as far as Wing Chun goes, is a mess. <laughs> all right. And, and, you know, there was always a basic uh, structure to the way things were taught. Um, for example, you, you know, you learn to start with a Siunam Tao and maybe some single arm Chi Sao and maybe some basic drills. And then you progress to the second form and double arm Chi Sao or whatever. But then, for example, when we're talking about the practical applications, how do you defend against a straight punch? How do you defend against a low punch? How do you use a uh, Pak Sao? How do you use Gan Sao? How do you defend against a kick? Well, at what point are those things taught? Well, those things are up to the individual instructors because honestly, there really was no clear cut way of teaching these things. And Wing Chun is a martial art that was originally taught in its history through private training. So the problem is Grandmaster Yip Man was the first one to do this experiment to try to teach Wing Chun in a group setting. And the teaching methods of which he had learned under and the teaching methods that had been uh, carried out throughout the Wing Chun generations or whatever were all uh, optimized for private training. So, of course, when he's starting to teach this thing in a group setting, uh, certain students learn this, other students learn that. The, the fighter guys gravitate more towards these movements. The other guys gravitate towards that. So what I always say when people are like uh, all the different lineages have their own ways of doing things, I kind of go – and no shit. <laughs> Have you seen how they teach in Hong Kong? Like, I, 
I want to, we want to, I want to create almost like a fresh air fund, you know, like where they would take like inner city kids and bring them out to like the countryside. Right. I want to take all these Wing Chun people who are like, I just don't understand how, how come all the lineages do things differently. Or like sometimes people go, why, why didn't they all just band together and, 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 you know, create one association to carry on Yip Man's teaching. I'm like, I'm like, are you, are you freaking crazy? Do you know anything about Chinese? Like get the hell out of here. You know what I mean? I want to create like a fresh air fund for Wing Chun people people to take them to hong kong and take them to different schools of different wing chun lineages and not for them to train with these guys just to sit and watch the class just sit and watch this class okay now we're going to go across the harbor and we're going to watch this guy's class now we're going to go watch this guy's class now we're going to go to the wing chun athletic association and just sit and watch and if you still have a question as to why people do things differently then there is something wrong with your programming upstairs because it's painfully obvious when you go over there, the teaching methods are not concise, they're not systematic, and to use a modern word, they're not professional. The teaching, right. the teaching methods in Chinese Kung Fu and Wing Chun in particular are not professional. So, of course, you have a mass uh, divergence of, of quality and, and, and what, you know, and what you know, it constitutes the curriculum or whatever. So I always say... I would be shocked if you found two students of Grandmaster Yip Man who learned in different periods who did things the same way. That would be the outlier. The fact that they do it all different, that's par for the course. That's normal. That's what you'd expect. Um, the problem is the discourse, how the different factions deal with that issue. If they can all just accept that everyone learned at different times, everyone focuses on different things, and everyone you know, kind of has their own way of doing it, they can grumble about what they think is correct privately, but to do that stuff publicly doesn't really help anything anymore. You know, now I just saw on Facebook today there was a guy from the Yun Kei San lineage, not the Yip Man lineage, basically disparaging all the Yip Man Wing Chun, saying it's not this and not that or whatever. And it's like, oh man, this is so tiresome. This is so tiresome. Even as a Wing Chun person, I'm heavily invested in this. I know about all this stuff, but I'm just super, super tired with it. And if the discourse can change where we can discuss methods, we can discuss uh, um, teaching systems, we can discuss uh, application or whatever, and just have an open, honest discussion about it the way most other practical martial arts do, then everything will be fine. The problem is it always comes back to, oh, well, you learn from so-and-so. So-and-so is really this guy's student. So-and-so didn't really learn this. And so this guy was a fighter and this guy wasn't a fighter and da 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 and and it's just super super tiresome because the discourse is not where the conversation needs to be right now in order for Wing Chun to move forward. So um, that's kind of what I have. That's all I have to say about that. What I have to say about that? Well, I mean, well, people have to remember that. Well, you know, people. First of all, people are ideologues. They they want things to be, you know, perfect in their heads. They tend to think of their their sifus and their um, they're, they're seagulls in this uh, grandiose way, and they forget that they're human beings who have opinions on things, can be assholes about things, can be right about things, uh, that would you want to do things differently for the sole purpose of making money? You know, and none of this stuff is bad. You know, it's just, it's just the way it is. It's the way life is. I mean, right. people are human beings, you know? And also there's this, especially in JKD, you have to remember that when you're there's a difference between what you're taught and what you learn. When I could be in this, I've been on the same back deck as another as, as a fellow student 
while Steve taught me, uh, so we'll go my friend Andrew. Steve would teach Andrew and I uh, on the back deck of my house in Brooklyn. And we were both learning something for the first time. And that night we dropped Steve off at the hotel and we go back to my place and we start talking about shit. And we, we kind of had a different like take on it. And at first we, it was funny because we were kind of like, no, no, dude, well, weren't your fucking eyes open? He was doing this, you know? And it was like, and we realized that we both were looking at it through our own filters you know, I looked at it through my filters and he was looking at it through his filters. And subconsciously, you kind of change shit to make it work for you. Yes. You know, it's like like I have to step differently than Andrew had to step, you know, and you kind of see things. You see what you need to see to get things done. So, like, um, there's a famous Kundo instructor, um, Lamar Davis who has um, advertised that he's certified by, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say five Bruce Lee students. I'm not sure if that's correct. It's four or five, but I'm pretty sure it's five. And I think that, you know, that's great. More power to him. What I, what I think people have to remember is that every one of the lessons that he learned, he still learned through the same filter. So, if he has a preconceived notion, that preconceived notion is in his head. And this is not a knock on Lamar Davis at all. This is just, I'm using him as an example because he's had multiple sifus. If just because you train with a guy who's had multiple sifus, say, doesn't mean you're going to learn everything that all those sifus teach. Because this, it still gets filtered down into one person's filtering system. If you want to learn multiple ways of doing say what bruce lee did you have to search out multiple different people not just one guy who searched out on five five people well like me like i i, I trained in a couple in a couple And that's another problem with lineages in, in, in JKD is there's so many seminar students where it's they train in seminar with this Jake, with this Bruce Lee student and this seminar with this Bruce Lee student in hopes of finding only what Bruce Lee did. And even if the person is being honest, it's never 100 percent pure. And, and that's why I, one of the things I love what Steve Golden says when people ask him, did you learn this from Bruce Lee? He always says no. He says, I learned it because of Bruce Lee. And because he can't specifically attribute a, a certain thing to Bruce Lee because he knows it, that it came through his own filtering system. Maybe his eyes were, maybe he was enlightened of something because of Bruce Lee. Maybe Bruce Lee opened up the doors to something for him. But he learned it because of himself. He learned it by himself because of Bruce Lee. And I think when you when you start worrying about lineages in martial arts, I feel for me it's important to learn a lineage and then branch out, as opposed to trying to learn four or five lineages at one time or two or three lineages. And I spoke on the podcast before, um, as far as Wing Chun goes, one of the things I find fucking annoying with the with the one or two pseudo Wing Chun people 
was when they say they do Moyat Silam Dow, TWC's Buji, Wong Chang Lung's Chunkyu, and um, and that, that Alex Master, Wong, Master, Ma- Master Wong's boxing defense and Master Wong's boxing defense. They're missing out. They're missing out. Yes. And um, again, my opinion, they are missing out. And I know I rambled for a little bit, but fuck it, that's the price of admission. I rambled. <laughs> no, that's great. Yeah, ab- absolutely correct. Uh, agree with you totally on that, especially on the uh, point of people should learn one lineage first, and you know, become good and proficient at it before they go and branch out. Because you have a lot of people who are what I call professional yellow belts that they've right. stuck around just just to know they're not white belts they've stuck around just enough to know a little bit but n- not enough to really know much about it but then they're already on to the next thing like when i have students who ask me like or not students people who come up to me in the wing chun worlds like you know um well what do you think about and then they'll ask me a question and i'm halfway through answering it and they're like yeah but like sifu so-and-so says it should be this way but then i also saw a video where this other sifu says you can do it that way and then and i'm just going like Dude, you're just, this is just word salad right now, and you're not actually listening to anything. And and that's a problem. It, and, and people think that, that that is having an open mind. But that's not having an open mind. That's having an undisciplined mind. Uh, you know, kind of jumping from one thing to the other, whatever, is not the same as having an open mind. An open mind also means you think critically about things. It doesn't mean you just accept everything just because somebody said it. And you have people who are jumping from one thing to the other for the sole reason of some other guy with Sifu in front of his name said it. And, right. and, and they have no critical thinking skills at all. And this is, a, uh, um, this is a big problem with people who are kind of on the lower rungs of learning these things. And, and, and they haven't been taught by a qualified Sifu how to be disciplined in, in their learning. So, yeah. Well, don't you think that's something to do with, um, I hate to sound like an old man, these kids today, they, you know, it's like, they, they, they don't want to dedicate people don't want it doesn't seem like people want to dedicate themselves for the long haul they you know i i can't tell you the amount of people that contact me because of my jkd background to ask me to teach them something useful about a certain art can i come and train with you so you can show me the useful part of this art <laughs> and right. i say well there's a couple of problems there one I've never trained in that art. Yeah. <laughs> but you can look it up real quick on YouTube. You right. Sell yeah. them some shit. Well, like, and I'm like, you know, maybe you should contact, like those people contact me. They go, but Muay Thai, can you come, can you, can I come there and learn Muay Thai kicks from you? Well, I, I've never trained in Muay Thai, but you do JKD, right? And I'm like, yeah, well, can you show me Muay Thai kicks? I've never trained in Muay Thai. That's crazy. And And this happens like, and especially once they learn that I know some Wing Chun, then it's like, oh, can you just teach me the trapping? Or the trapping. I only want to I want to learn Buji. I want to learn the Muk Yang Zhang. Or the Foshan. But <laughs> 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 like people, people want to learn the Zhang. I don't know why, but people really want really, really want to learn the Zhang. Well, it's I mean, sexy. It's kind of a symbol, you know. People people think that if they can clack away on a piece of wood, that that you know, that's what's going to impress their friends, right? Alex, I'm sexy. No one wants to learn me. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I mean, 
Yeah, you know, I, I think we, we received a question about the Zhang. Um, when uh, didn't you say the training on the Zhang was completely unnecessary? <laughs> yeah, that's not taken out of context at all. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think I'm, I don't know if it was the last podcast or the one before. I had mentioned something about that I don't really train on the wooden dummy that much myself anymore. Besides, uh, I, I teach the wooden dummy quite regularly, obviously, to my advanced students. And, and by teaching it, I still have to do it on a regular basis. I mean, it's kind of a joke when I say I don't really do the wooden dummy anymore. <laughs> um, I probably do the wooden dummy form and the wooden dummy training through instruction because I also have to demonstrate it. I probably do it more than most people who claim that they're practicing Wing Chun hardcore. And I don't even say that I do the wooden dummy that much anymore just by virtue of teaching. I still have to keep up the skill. Um, but I, when I learned the wooden dummy originally from uh, Grandmaster Ling Tang and from Sifu Carson Lao, I, I, I practiced it. So much. And, and, you know, I've had my wooden dummy refined by a number of different masters. And, I, you know, it's not to say that I don't practice it, but in, in the hierarchy of things that are important for me at this stage in my training, um, I much prefer um, partner training, live partner training, chi sao, gao sao, sparring, that kind of stuff, um, so that I can actually apply the stuff that I learned in the wooden dummy, as opposed to just doing the wooden dummy form for the sake of going, hey, look at me on the wooden dummy, this is Wing Chun or whatever. But it, for me, it's kind of one of those things, when I was a, a young Wing Chun student, of course I wanted to learn the wooden dummy, that's the sexy thing to do, right? So you, you know, before you learn it, you look ahead in the book, in the Yip Man book, and take a look at the movements, and kind of like fake them yourself or whatever, and then you go and learn it from your instructor, and you go, oh, geez, I really didn't know what the hell I was doing, right? But then it's kind of like anything else. Once that kind of thrill of the forbidden thing or the secret thing or the advancing is kind of done, you can finally digest it. You can train it. And then it doesn't have the same thing anymore, you know? So it, it's also like a, I think, a conflict between people who are kind of on the lower, uh, on the beginning stages of learning Wing Chun. And for them, the wooden dummy is kind of like a status symbol and something important that they want to ascribe to. And when you've been doing it for a number of years, as we have, and you just look at it as just one of the tools we have in this skill set we call Wing Chun, but it is not a supreme thing uh, um, by any means. So um, what I I, I guess what I said was I don't do that much wooden dummy anymore. Well, I did a lot of wooden dummy in my life. I still do a lot more wooden dummy than most self-professed Wing Chun masters do. But in the things that I practice now, uh, you know, it, it's not, you, you know, people always say, well, if you're on a desert Island and you can only have like two pieces of training equipment or whatever, um, you know, what would it be? And I'd be like, a wooden dummy and a blonde wig. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, it'd be a three-sectional, two, three-sectional wall bags filled with rice that I could cook so I wouldn't starve to death on that damn <laughs> island. <laughs> but the funny thing is I would much rather have a wall bag uh, tied up to a tree with a bungee cord than I would a wooden dummy if, if I could only have one thing. And um, and that's because I've just done so much wooden dummy in my life. I know exactly the timing of hitting the arms and everything like that. And I'd much rather just have a live partner to practice with anyway. So that's really what I meant by the whole that whole thing. And and, and that's spot on. And when, and in regards to Jeet Kune Do, and this is going to annoy some people, but I, again, don't care. Um, I think the wooden dummy is the worst thing in the world for a Jeet Kune Do practitioner. How's that, huh? And what, <laughs> and what I mean by that is this. 
Yeah, the wooden dummy's awesome. I, I I played with a woman dummy before I knew what the fuck I was doing with it. Did you just say a woman dummy? <laughs> I played with a rubber dummy. I, I, just, I swear you just said, I played with a woman dummy, and I go, wait, wait, wait a minute. Did you just say that? Just, you know, what are you taking your shirt off for, you sick bastard? No. Um, <laughs> no, what I mean is this. There's so many things in this, and this is just in regards to Jeet Kune not Wing Chun. There's so many things you could and should be doing before doing Wooden Dummy with Jake and JKD, that it almost makes the idea of being on a on a John Wooden Dummy in JKD ridiculous. You know, if first of all, if you wouldn't the Wooden Dummy is there, and for again in regards to JKD alone, it's there for you to have something to do when you don't have a training partner. You should always want to have a live training partner with you because almost everything in JKD is dealing with um, fakes, faints, reactions, habits, things to that effect. None of which can be dealt with on a John or a dummy. Uh, but what if I get one of those spinning dummies? <laughs> Again, statement still stands, except you wasted more money. Uh, <laughs> I always love those questions. Yeah, but what, why do you get the one that doesn't move? Would you get the one that spins? Oh my god, I don't even know where to start, man. Like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and you're so much better off spending your time. So then, if you don't have somebody to work out with, so if you have someone to work out with, stay away from the dummy. The dumbest thing in the world is two 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 JKD guys being together and them taking turns on a job. It's just, it's just stupidity run, run amok. If you have two people, spar. Right. Run focus mic drills. Do reaction drills. You know, all this, play, fight, fucking tag. You know, do something that deals with movement. Mm-hmm. If you don't, if you're by yourself, physical conditioning, physical fitness, work, work double end bags, speed bags, heavy bag. The John... In my opinion, for a JKD guy, comes after all that. It's, you know, unless you are learning the Jong in Wing Chun f- to learn the forms and the lessons derived from it, it's a waste of time for a JKD guy. And it's a waste of money for a JKD guy. There's so many, so many, so much more you could be doing on your own to, to get better. Run, you know, do footwork drills. The double end bag, in my opinion, a double end bag is so much more important for a JKD guy than a John. Oh, sure. and by the way, it's like 50 bucks as opposed to $1,000 you're going to drop on a John. Yeah, it doesn't look as cool in your basement as a John does. Or in my living room, like my wife loved that shit. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you just, for a JKD guy, a John is nearly almost a waste of money. You just don't need one. To get proficient at Jeet Kune Do. It's just not needed. But you do need a yellow tracksuit for shadow boxing, right? Good God. I mean, what is it with the yellow tracksuit? When, when are we going to see you in the yellow tracksuit is what, I, what, what I, I think everyone wants to know. First of all, you're just teasing the folks because we both know you've seen. I have, I have yellow. What he's talking about is I have these stretch marks on my body. That pattern, the, the lines down the side of the yellow tracksuit. <laughs> now, Alex seen these, and of course, he sees them every night in his fucking fantasy land when he goes to bed at night. And it's a little scary, but, you know, not as scary as what he's doing on the video camera right now. <laughs> but, uh, um, no, you know what? I'll have a yellow tracksuit as soon as they make one my size. But, uh, 
Yeah. Perfect. That's a perfect answer. Leave well, like, it at that. Just leave it at that. <laughs> the yellow tracksuit. I don't get it. Like that was the worst movie. It was. He was in it like fucking ten minutes. Well, yeah. I mean, he never finished it. To be fair, yeah. yeah. Right. Well, that's why. I mean, you know, it's. But I'm saying, like, they all go for the yellow tracksuit. Mm-hmm. Well, what I would love they is... Know, just, you, ne- you never see him in the little Speedo from the beginning of Enter the Dragon. <laughs> is that, yeah, because you need to really be able to pull that one off. I would just love to walk around. Maybe, you know, there's a great Halloween idea. For the next Halloween, I just want to put the cardboard cutout of Bruce Lee's face on my face and not say that I'm Bruce Lee for Halloween, but just I'm that scene from Game of Death where they use the cardboard face. <laughs> <laughs> Like a super obscure reference. <laughs> but you, but you, you're you're a you're a Bruce Lee guy. You're you. I love Bruce, uh, Lee. I love Bruce yeah. Lee. So I'm gonna go on. You have a yellow tracksuit. I do not have a yellow tracksuit. Although I now that I have two daughters, I was thinking of I would wear the yellow tracksuit and I would have them uh, dress like maybe I would have one of my daughters dress like Chuck Norris and the other one dress like Bolo <laughs> and then we'd, go, we'd all go out for, for Halloween together so I might do that in 2017 that'd be a lot of fun that's actually pretty cool yeah you get one of those little Bruce Lee wigs you can use an Elvis wig and just that's right well I have plenty of time I might I mean I might grow out my my hair uh, uh to to Bruce Lee lengths by then by the way I don't know if you know this Sean it's kind of embarrassing because I'm not a superstitious person at all. Like I don't, I don't believe in any kind of superstitions, lucky hat, whatever. I'm not religious, blah, 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 blah. Um, but I was a little bit mm, superstitious when I was 32 years old and I was the same age as Bruce Lee. Really? Yeah. I, I was like a little freaked out because one, I felt like a horrible disappointment thinking like, my God, Bruce Lee had to accomplish all this stuff. And geez, like, look at me. What a loser. Right? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, oh, my God. Of course, like comparing myself to to Bruce Lee. Right. And then I was also like, but I'm also five foot seven. I'm the same exact height as Bruce Lee. So I was like, I'm a Wing Chun guy. I'm five foot seven. I go, this is not a good year for me. I go, <laughs> I, I go, you know, I might have some kind of weird, bad Wing Chun luck and die because I'm like the five foot seven, 32 year old guy. Right. So I thought I need to overcome Bruce Lee's bad karma. Mm-hmm. So I, 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 in kind of a way of trying to kill my superstition, because I'm also, I'm like, come on, this is ridiculous. These superstitions don't mm-hmm. exist. Here's what I'll do. I will grow my hair long like Bruce Lee to prove to myself that I could even have the same hairstyle and be five foot seven and be 32 years old and nothing will happen to me. So I, when I was 32, I actually grew my hair long uh, like Bruce Lee and I overcame the same amount of time he was alive. And then I actually let my hair keep growing and I went to some kind of weird, really long hair phase. And we're not, we don't have to talk about that, but that started as kind of like me trying to kill this superstitious thing that I had over me. It's like, no, I'll even grow my hair long and nothing will happen to me. And I have managed to survive until 39. So. Wow. You're seriously fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) Only my closest friends know that. And now all of our podcast listeners know why I oddly grew my hair long when I was 32. Please tell me pictures exist of this or. Oh, you know, if you're on my Facebook and you go back, uh, uh, so 32, 
So I guess we're looking like 2008, 2009. Um, you can you you can spot some some interesting photos of me <laughs> with the long pole and this like weird long hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. That's oh, I say that's cool. I'm just saying that to be nice. That's not cool. <laughs> Well, I uh, I survived, so you know, I and, and I overcame my stupid superstition because I'm not superstitious at all. Like you know, and I'm half Cuban, so like I grew up with like all the weird, like Cuban superstitious stuff or whatever. But it didn't affect me at all, and it, like so, I always do these weird things just to prove to myself that superstitions don't exist. So whenever I find my OCD kind of going in a superstitious way, I will I'll try to kill that right away. So please, I'm an Italian kid from Brooklyn. I'm half Irish, half Italian from Brooklyn. So you know. You'd be in Brooklyn if, like, somebody looked at you and said, uh, Malocchio, like, that was just cause for beating the shit out of them because wow. they, were, they were wishing the evil eye on you. I want to talk right. about superstitions. Sure, sure. So, like, you know, you'd be like, the worst thing in the world you could say to a kid in Brooklyn, a tiny kid in Brooklyn, be like, Malocchio. And that would be like, they want to kill you for that. <laughs> Oh, so uh, uh, ma like like bad and okio like I. So right. literally, it's just saying like evil. Oh wow, okay, right. okay. Malokio. Wow, wow. The Incredible. evil eye. And uh, Oof, the, that was them be of, fighting words. Yeah, that's that. That's a fist fight in, in New York, man. At least back in the <laughs> at least back in the day, that was a fist fight in Brooklyn. That was. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Now I would kind of just laugh and make fun of the shirt that the person's wearing or something, but back then. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. So we have another question that I should have had keyed up, but I didn't. But I'm going to, okay. What single martial arts figure impacted you the most in a positive way? And you can't say Bruce Lee. Hey, this this one sounds familiar. Did we answer this one already? Oh, you know what? I think we did. Yeah, didn't we? And you know what's funny? I have absolutely no idea what I said the first time. And if I had to answer that question right now, I would probably say something totally different than what I said the first time. I have no idea what the hell I said the first time. So say it. Answer the question. Come on. Come up with something. Uh, wow. Well, I feel weird because, like, if I gave I somebody like this. I feel weird. Yeah, but if, if I said, oh, you're, was, you're stalling. You're stalling. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Single most influential martial artist. Question doesn't change if you stay slower. That's not well. No, I need I need a moment to think about it because nothing nothing super super quick pops to my head. Um, I would I would say it's got to be David Carradine. Really? No, no, not at all. <laughs> I hate David Carradine. That's right. I, I've told my David Carradine story before, right? Yeah, <laughs> I'm not the biggest David Carradine fan. Um, maybe Steven Seagal. I don't know. You want to learn a front kick? Huh? <laughs> yeah, he taught me. He taught me and uh, Anderson Silva the front kick on the same day. That's how. That's why I incorporated the front kick into my Wing Chun. Was there you go. Of Steven Seagal. Yeah. Um, yeah. Those are, those would be. I don't know. Maybe Jean Claude Van Damme. I have no idea. You kind of remind Sean- me of Jean Claude Van Damme a little bit. What? Well, I hope the younger Jean-Claude Van Damme from like Bloodsport, maybe. <laughs> well, <laughs> not, not, it's, <laughs> it's it's in the way you dance. It's oh. Hey, but he was not a very good dancer. I don't oh, know. That's what I mean. Uh, <laughs> hey, I'm half Cuban, mind you. I know how to dance. <laughs> if there's one thing I can do, it's dance. Challenge we'll accepted. 
we'll have a dance off when when uh oh well actually uh, which brings me to another thing we discussed before the podcast we were thinking about doing another live podcast and maybe using the facebook live feature uh, to do the podcast. Now, if this is something that our audience members would be interested in, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, we could set up a time and then do the podcast live, do it on Facebook live. People could stream in the questions while we're on the air and then we would answer them. And, and I think that'd be fun. So um, people could ask me this question about the most influential martial artist again. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, it's easy. It's um, Miyamoto Musashi. I think I, I, I don't know if I said that last time or not. But um, I grew up a huge Musashi fan. Actually, you did say that last time. Now, now I remember you saying that, but for the life of me, I cannot remember what the hell I said. But you definitely said Musashi, 100%. Yeah, I, uh, I always loved Miyamoto Musashi. Uh, in fact, when I was a kid, um, I had said that I was going to, if I ever invented my own uh, style of martial arts, I was going to call it musashi though. Musashi, though. <laughs> you know, when you're a kid, you think this shit, right? So, yes. um, yeah, I, I grew up loving Miyamoto Musashi. It was like I was all about Musashi. And one of my, uh, one of the things I did as a young man, I remember calling the Japanese consulate here in America. I call, you know, this is pre-internet. You know, realize this is how old I am, folks, Okay. So I'm, you know, I'm 50. I'm going to be 52 years old soon. I, pre-internet or pre-me being on the internet, I, you know, there was no information on Musashi other than, you know, whatever books were in, in your library, uh, encyclopedias. So I called the Japanese consulate or the, uh, the yeah, it was Japanese consulate here in America. And whoever answered the phone, this poor lady, I remember saying like, you know, I'm you know I'm a fat kid from Brooklyn, right? And I am a huge fan of Miyamoto Musashi, and I know that he's extremely popular in Japan, but here in America, there's nothing about him. Is there a like a book that you would recommend me buying? Or I was just looking for information. God, the poor lady. <laughs> well, she like in, in some confused state said, "Hold on," and he got me on on the phone with turned out to be. I'm going to say he was like a, a historian or a researcher for the Japanese consulate here in America who was mm-hmm. utterly thrilled and amazed that some kid in New York even knew who Miyamoto Musashi was. No kidding. And sent me so much stuff that I still have. Wow. He, I, I'm going to say, and it had to be like two months later, I get like this box in the mail and it's got like pictures, like copies, copies of like pictures of famous drawings, um, drawings that Musashi did, uh, calligraphy with Musashi's name and calligraphy, like all these cool things about Miyamoto Musashi. It was just, and he also included in there was the first time I had ever seen the book, um, The Unfettered Mind by Taquan Soho who was uh, Musashi's uh, spiritual guider, guidance. And, um, and it turned me on to talk. So yeah, Musashi, I would say had the biggest, I'm a martial artist today because of Miyamoto Musashi. Wow. Yeah. You know, I watched the Bruce Lee movies as a kid and everybody wanted to be Bruce Lee. But from when I could actually make decisions about what I wanted to do, it was Miyamoto Musashi. 
Very cool. Very cool. Telling you, dude, you got to read the book. It's a novelized version of his life. It's um, the name of the book was just Musashi by Yuji Yasakawa. I'll check it out. I'll check it it's, out. It's just, you know, you're in Florida for another week. Yes. Bang out a couple hundred pages, bro. It's so awesome. Download it to your iPad and just go. It's incredible. Musashi yeah. by Yuji Yasakawa. It's awesome. Very cool. Very cool. You'll forever be hooked. Cool. Um, hey, uh, Friday, uh, Friday, we have another UFC. Ronda Rousey's coming back. We, did, we didn't talk about that. What do you think about that? I'm excited about it. I know there's a lot of uh, Rousey hate, but um, I'm not one of the haters. So I like Ronda Rousey. I want to see her do well. I th- I'm concerned that she has um, gone a little too Hollywood, and that seems to be uh, a problem with um, some of the uh, UFC people when they get popular. Right. But uh, Amanda Nunes is a beast. She's scary, man. I mean, I've just, uh, I, I, ne- I had never really watched her fight before. I had heard her name before, but I, the first time I saw Amanda Nunes was when she fought Misha Tate, and, which was for the belt. And, of course, I had seen Misha Tate fight many times or whatever. And, man, she just beat the crap out of Misha Tate. It was, it was scary. I mean, the amount of power that Amanda Nunes has, and um, I'm a huge Ronda Rousey fan. I've always been a Ronda Rousey fan, even when she was unpopular with other people. And I, I, I was, I wasn't happy to see her lose to Holly Holm. Um, I understand the circumstances that kind of led up to that. And it's, you know, and she kind of laid low for the whole year and, and, you know, that's totally understandable or whatever. Um, I don't know what the effect of being out for so long is going to have on her in terms of like ring rust and in terms of dealing with the pressure of the spotlight and everything when you're going in there and the noise and the music and everything like that, because, um, you know, I think one of the reasons why Connor does it so well, besides the fact that he is a, uh, an amazing personality and he's an absolutely unique individual was he, he does it very regularly. So, you know, he's used to going out there and seeing the lights and hearing the music and everything like that. So he can deal with that pressure. Um, Rhonda, you know, she's very emotional and that was part of the, I think part of the problem of why she kind of lost the last fight with Holly Holm. So I don't know how all of that stuff's going to affect her when she hasn't been used to it. And she's just dealing with, someone who in my opinion i think amanda nunez is the scariest person she's ever faced right and and now she's fighting her after this layoff coming off the mo- the only and most devastating loss of her career so um i you know i love to hope for miracles and and i it would be amazing if ronda could pull the win get her belt back if ronda could pull the win and get her belt back, I would tell her, great, now retire, and now go do the Hollywood thing. You know right, I mean? right, like, right. Like, don't go back in there again, because <laughs> this is like getting scarier and scarier. Um, but the realist in me, I I don't know if she's going to be able to pull it off against Amanda Nunes. I think Amanda Nunes is too powerful. She's too... Uh, she's on top of her game right now. She's very right. well-trained. Um, I unfortunately think that the it might end in a finish um, I think that Amanda Nunes might be able to finish Ronda Rousey. I just, I, I feel it. I just, uh, I, I don't know about the, the the striking skills of Ronda. I don't know if she's going to be able to hold Amanda Nunes, who's a, also a very good grappler. So, uh, I don't know, man. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> well, the um, other fight that night that I'm really excited about is um, Dominic Cruz versus Cody Garbrandt. Yes, that's going to be amazing. That's going to be an amazing fight, dude. 
Yes, definitely. I love Dominic Cruz. I think he's, he's got a very interesting style, the way he moves his body and his footwork is amazing. And, um, you know, I almost feel like the only thing that bugs me about Dominic Cruz is unfortunately because of his injuries, I haven't had the chance to see him as much as I would like to see him. You know what I mean? Like, like, right. uh, I, I, you know, could definitely, you know, his Dillashaw fight was amazing. His fight with uh, last fight with Uriah Faber was great. What he did to Mizugaki when he came back from his injury was amazing. Um, uh, you know, Cody, no love is no joke, but I think that he's also kind of young and he's a little bit emotional. I think that if, um, you know, if, if Dominic kind of keeps it together the way he should be able to, because that's kind of his thing. I think, you know, Cody could get a little bit emotional and either wear himself out or, uh, make a mistake that Dominic Cruz can capitalize on, but who knows it's MMA. Anybody can get knocked out in 13 seconds. You never know. Right, right, right. Now I don't. Is it pay per view? Yeah, it's pay per view, right? It's pay per view. Yeah. yeah and there's another. Uh, there's another uh, bantamweight fight, which is a uh, TJ Dillashaw versus John Lineker. Lineker yeah. Lineker's a beast, man. He's like he's one of the guys at that those lower weight classes who really has like one punch knockout power. That guy's incredible. I think that's going to be a really good fight too, um, because Lineker's got good movement. He's he's well-rounded but he's very powerful and then you have dillashaw who's just incredible so i i think that 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 has the chance to be a really good fight yeah yeah this is gonna be a, a good night i'm gonna i'm gonna think it's i'll be ordering the pay-per-view on that one that's uh as we're talking i'm sitting here making a decision am i ordering the pay-per-view yeah fucking i'm ordering the pay-per-view <laughs> awesome and then uh, there's a, a ufc coming up in brooklyn soon and uh man i would love to go see that yeah, my son John's going to be there. My son John's going to go to that one. Nice. So yeah, he got the he bought himself a ticket. It's uh, my little young stud son over there, and um, that should be very cool. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that the the card picks up for him a little bit because uh, at first they had said that it was going to be, oh Jesus, um, was that two hundred eight or two hundred nine? I'm not sure which one is the one that's going to be in Brooklyn. I don't have that in front of me right now. I don't want to. I don't want to. I think it was too late. Yeah. Um, yeah, they talked about. Um, yeah, I'd say the UFC 208. They they wanted Aldo to fight on that card. That's right. And Aldo pulled out of the fight. That's right. Yeah, and, but I also think that. Um, uh, Max Holloway is also not able to fight right away too because I think he's, he has some kind of injury from from his last fight. So that's going to be a very interesting fight to finally see Max Holloway and Jose Aldo go at it. I would love to see that. Aldo said no. Aldo pulled out of the fight. Apparently, there was, yeah, there was yeah. Well, that, that that seems. He, to Aldo happen. says he wants no. Aldo says he wants to go up and wait and fight um, Connor. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> he was also talking some stuff about. Uh, I, well, I don't think anybody wants to see that fight. You know what I mean? Right, In terms yeah, of the I, agree. I, I can understand Jose Aldo wants to have that fight for his 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 legacy, his career, whatever. But I think in terms of money, he gives a crap about that fight. Um, it'd be interesting to see Jose Aldo at one fifty five. I'd love to see him go against somebody like Khabib Nurmagomedov or oh. Tony Ferguson or something like that. You know, uh, mm-hmm. that'd be really interesting. Now the thing is, Khabib is an absolute killer. But I don't know if if you remember from from his last fight. Um, in the, on the ropes there for a little bit. In the opening rounds, he, yeah. he he was having some problems there. In the opening round, I should say, at the beginning, he was having some problems with the uh, with the striking of uh, I forget the guy he was uh, fighting Johnson, Michael Johnson, I think. Um, and but the thing is, like once 
gets a hold of you because he throws you the stone, you and manhandling you, okay, um, yeah, then it's going to be tough. But I think if you have somebody who's a really good striker who can keep good distance, uh, I, you know, Jose Aldo might be a bad matchup for someone like Khabib. Um, might be. You never know. Um, yeah, so, might be. You know, there, there are definitely a couple of interesting matchups that, that are coming down the pipe, so I'm looking forward to seeing that. That's cool, man. I'm I'm – I, I'm digging on the UFC. I, you know, you and I, we both love the UFC for a long time now. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because a lot of the people that write to us, that some people just don't like when we talked about the UFC. They're like, um, they, they're all hot, you know. Yeah, unfortunately, there's like a big, you know, a big dichotomy between traditional martial arts, <laughs> modern martial arts. Uh, you know, people who do Jeet Kune Do, people who do Wing Chun, people are like the one type of Wing Chun they do and like the other type of Wing Chun. The people think that MMA is bullshit because there's rules and all this kind of stuff. And for me, I, I've been just a huge martial arts fan since I was young. And I liked all this stuff. I definitely had the things that I liked more. I was more into Bruce Lee and Kung Fu and stuff like that. But, you know, I would read articles about karate, other martial arts styles and kickboxing and Thai boxing and all that kind of stuff. And I'm a huge martial arts fan. And I think that then this is just my opinion and I could totally be wrong about this, but I think that the reason why a lot of maybe Wing Chun or JKD people maybe don't like MMA. Now I'm not saying that's the reason all of them don't like it um, is because they feel some kind of conflict with what's going on in MMA and what they themselves do or practice. And maybe they have a problem thinking like, Oh, well that's not real because they don't allow, you know, because there's rules in MMA, it's not real fighting or like they have some, whereas they can't just sit and enjoy it and say, this is separate from what I do in my own martial arts, you know? And, um, so I, I think that there's a little bit of that going on that people feel a little bit threatened by the whole concept of MMA if they do a traditional martial art because they can't kind of separate these things in their heads. The other thing is I've been spending a lot of time with one of my cousins here in Miami who's, who used to do martial arts in the 70s. He used to do Wing Chun with Alan Lamb in the 70s. All right, wow. So he's like, yeah, he's like 20 years older than me, and he lives here in Miami, and he's huge into boxing. He's close Wait, a friends. a Cuban guy in Miami? Is he the only Cuban one? guy in Miami. He's the one of like six of them down here. Right, <laughs> and uh, he's good friends with Roberto Duran, and he's very well connected in the boxing world. And um, he used to box in the eighties. And the funny thing is, you know, he's an old school martial arts guy. He he loved Bruce Lee and did Wing Chun, and and then love and loves boxing. And I was talking with him, and he's like, "Yeah, you know what? I don't I don't like MMA." And I was like, "Oh, you know, because he grew up with martial arts like I did. Of course, he's twenty years before me, and then he did boxing. He's like, "Yeah, you know." And and for him, he just doesn't like like when someone goes to the ground and you keep hitting him because he's got that kind of old school sensibility right. from kind of the martial arts code and then also from boxing. <laughs> and it's funny because I've I, I remember when I first saw people getting hit on the ground when I was younger and thinking that that, you know, didn't really look very cool or elegant or whatever. But then over time, that kind of grows on you a little bit. Right. Sure. But I told I totally understand it, why some people wouldn't like it. But. Um, the dudes of Kung Fu podcast is as much about Wing Chun and Jeet Kune Do as it is about you and me just having a conversation like we would if I was over in your kitchen right now. So um, the MMA thing is part of it because that's what we do. And, and maybe we can kind of start to bring these things together. You know, one of the things that we should also add to that is when you are in my kitchen, uh, you bring one of those cakes that has like that little thin layer and then it has the cream and then the thin layer and the cream and oh the the that the, the Japanese one that we brought right that was the fucking bomb <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, that was, I think, Lady M, which is like a Japanese bakery. It's a very, the, very famous from Japan. It was Ooh, one close to my boy, school. That yeah. was a good freaking cake, man. That was a good cake, man. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime, man. I'll bring it next time. No problem. Yeah, you know what? I think we need to invite you and your wife over. And Really, it's, well, more, it's more about the cake. But you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, be back. I'll be back in a week, man. I look forward to being in cold-ass New York and getting some work done. Oh, uh, yeah. There you go. There you go. So, uh, oh, so you know what? One, one last thing. Uh, I, you're, you're friends with uh, Anthony Iglesias. Um, he posted a video last week talking about, um, and he titled it in this, I think he titled it something like Wing Chun Sucks or something just to get people to view it. Sure. And, um, and he made a good point. And I wanted to tell a quick story about it because he, he made a point saying that um, people have a perception of Wing Chun sucking. Uh-huh. Because you don't see Wing Chun people competing. You don't see yeah. a lot of Wing Chun people and JKD people competing, you know, actively out there competing. So if you look at YouTube, and if, you, if you're an outsider to Wing Chun, an outsider to Jeet Kune Do, and then you do uh, a YouTube search, you would think Wing Chun sucks also. Sure. Uh, you yes. know? And I remember, well, and I'm not saying in all cases, you know what I mean? You know, it's, uh, I know there's a how-to series out there that doesn't suck, but uh, um, yeah, but the guy who does it's a real jerk. Yeah, trust me. Trust me, I know. Um, <laughs> quick story: when when we made the switch to MMA uh, for a short time, many years ago, many 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 years ago, I um, dipped my toe into MMA, and I called a local promoter and I said that I wanted to get some guys on a fight card, and he was oh sure, you know. And um, we're going through the thing, and I'm going through, like, you know, the name of each guy and the weights and where, you know, how many years they're training and, you know, things that affect us to line up the cards to see, you know, where he could fit them in on his, like, next three or four cards coming up. And I, almost like as an afterthought, he said, oh, what's the name of your school or team? And I said, Chikundo uh, of New York or whatever the fuck I said. And he said... No, dude, I, I can't do this. Uh, you know what? Sorry. Um, we, I can't have you guys on the card. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, listen, I don't mean any disrespect, but JKD people can't fight. He goes, you're going to come here and you guys are going to get fucking killed. And that's not enjoyable to my audience. Uh-huh. He goes, to have a fight over in three seconds and then carrying one guy out is not enjoyable to my audience. He goes, and I've had JKD people on the card before, and he goes, I'm sorry, but you guys can't fight. Well, he, he's like, you know, it's, he goes, you all think you can fight. He says, but you really can't. He goes, and it's just too dangerous. I don't need anybody getting hurt. I just, and I was like, I was like, like, like kind of heartbroken, but it was funny because then I said, well, I, I, I also train with Matt Thornton, Straight West Gym. He goes, oh, oh, okay. No, no. You train with Straight West Gym? That's fine. You know, and he put us on the card, <laughs> you know. And it wasn't a knock on my instructor. It wasn't a knock on. He didn't even know who, you know, Steve Golden was. or He was just talking about Jake G- G- Kundo and his experience with it. And I remember at first being a little annoyed with the guy and then realizing he's only speaking from experience. Right. You know, and um, and he, he let us get on the card because of Matt Thornton. 
And, um, and, and I'm, quite frankly, we, one of the first things we learned is we learned we needed to learn more. You know, we, we got, our, we got our, our heads handed to us on, in some cases. But um, I, Jeet Kune Do and Wing Chun almost deservingly have a bad reputation because they don't put themselves out there. And they, and they tend to say that, you know, this whole idea of it's too deadly for the ring and all this other shit is just utter, pure fucking bullshit. You know, if you think you can't fight without rules, you th- if you think you can't fight with rules, then you can't fight. Because you're not sparring then. When, when JKD people, I'm not going to speak for Wing Chun people, when JKD people turn around and say bullshit like, Oh, well, I like to finger jab in the eyes and kick in the balls. And if I get into the UFC, I can't finger jab in the eyes and kick in the balls. So I won't go into UFC because I'll do it automatically and get disqualified. And I asked them, oh, so how do you spar that? Do you blind several of your training partners? Oh, well, no. You know, instead of the finger jab, I use, like, you know, a regular jab when we wear headgear. And I don't kick my partner actually in the balls. I kick him like on the inside of his thigh. Oh, so you, so you can do it then. Well, I don't want to develop bad habits. Well, do you either do this in sparring or don't do it in sparring? You know what I mean? You're either doing this or you're not doing it. If you are, you're not, you're not fucking finger jabbing people in the eyes. You're not kicking training partners in the balls. So that's just fucking not happening. So you're either sparring or not sparring. If you're not sparring, you're fucking useless anyway. And if you're sparring, you're you're not, you know, you're you're doing MMA. So to say that because you do JKD and JKD is too deadly for the for the cage, you you you're lying to yourself and you're lying to everybody you say it to. And you're an asshole. Anyway, that's my rant for today. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. You're totally correct, man. And hey, it was great to do this podcast after we took such a long break. I'm looking forward to uh, doing more. We have uh, how many left in season two? We have like a one or two more episodes left, and then we take a little break, right? Right, exactly right. This is episode nine, uh, This is episode ten. We have twelve episodes per season, and then we'll take like a week or two off, and then we'll jump jump in with uh, twelve episodes of uh, next season, and. Um, we actually have some cool shit lined up for next season. This season was a little funky. Me and Alex both admit it was a little funky as far as the uh, timing of some episodes. And, um, you know, we, we didn't have the guests and everything. But we have the guests lined up for next season. We have some, um, so the idea of the, the live the live episode with stuff to do. And um, we, have a, uh, a one, oh, we have a big surprise coming out soon. So, um it's such a big surprise. Alex doesn't know what it is yet. <laughs> yeah, but, I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> but uh, we're going to uh, announce that in a few weeks also. And I'll tell Alex what it is once we're done talking. Fantastic. All right, guys. Well, I hope you had a good time. And um, looking forward to talking to you next week. We'll see you guys soon. Take care. Be good, bro. Bye.